All right. How is everybody? Am I on? I'm on. Okay, good. Uh, how's everybody this morning? Good, good. Another, another beautiful morning for us to gather together. This feels like uh, the endless summer to me. It feels like it's been summer since March, so it's kind of nice to have some of these more fall-type temperatures creeping up on us. I love to read. I try to read a lot of books and succeed at that to varying extents depending on what is going on, what else is going on in my life. Excluding the Bible and Christian books, one of the books I find myself referencing most in conversation is one I read about 15 years ago. It is called Better Off. The book was written by a guy named Eric Brind, who was getting a master's degree down at MIT at the time he wrote the book. The question Brind was exploring for his thesis was, does technology make you better off? The book I read was his answer to this question, and I'm sure there are many ways, many boring ways to answer the question Bryn posed. The author could have looked at statistics or interviewed a lot of people, but that's not what he did. He decided to do an experiment using himself as the guinea pig. He found a Mennonite community in the Midwest that would allow him to come and live with them for a year. Now, for those of you that don't know, Mennonites are a Christian group that limit the use of modern technology to varying extents. The subgroup that Bryn was going to go live with was extremely stringent. While they allowed telephones, although the telephones had to be outside the house in a special booth, they did not allow electricity or indoor plumbing. About a month before leaving for this experiment, Brand went on a date with a young woman. As he was talking to this young woman about what he was about to go do, she seemed interested. So he said, hey. Do you want to come with me? She said, sure. So they got married. The new couple ended up spending 18 months living in a way that would be totally foreign to most Americans. For the most part, Brand had many positive things to say about his experience. I'm not quite as sure about his wife. She had their first child in the farmhouse where they lived without any of the conveniences of modern medicine. Now, the reason I find myself mentioning this book a lot is probably because of my own ambivalence about the technology-drenched world we live in. It is rare to think deeply about how all the man-made creations we surround ourselves with impact us, our communities, and most importantly, our relationship with God. This is kind of odd when you think about it. Over the past hundred years, 
the way most people live has changed drastic, drastically. We have gone from living the way Eric Brin did in his experiment to a totally different way of living, yet we rarely evaluate the change. Today, we are going to try to approach technology from a biblical Christian perspective. This may seem a bit odd, but to me, this question of how we engage with technology is one of the biggest questions we as Christians have to answer in our lives, and it is something that the Bible speaks to. So if you will please turn with me now to Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, or you can pull the printed excerpt of Scripture from your, from your bulletin here if you do not have a Bible with you. Genesis 4, beginning in verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujalel, and Mahujal fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubalcane. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubalcane was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Today's verses, those we just read, is the first time in Scripture that technology is acknowledged. Before, before we move forward, we should define what exactly we mean when we say technology. Normally, if someone uses that word, they are talking about a relatively new invention or something that has not even come on the scene yet. A battery-operated car that can drive itself autonomously is normally thought of as technology. A pencil is not. Nobody picks up a spatula and says to themselves, wow, what a beautiful, life-changing invention. The only reason this doesn't happen is that we are used to the pencil and spatula's existence. In truth, everything designed over the course of human history by people is technology. The tools we take for granted would be sorely missed if they ever disappeared for some reason. Most of you here today 
at least have some memory of what life was like before smartphones. Almost nobody knows how to get by without electricity. It has happened in history where some invention that was so integral to the way humans lived simply ceased to exist. There was a period of over a thousand years after the fall of the Roman Empire where nobody knew how to make concrete. The Romans have fantastic concrete, but I always picture there being some Roman architect trying to explain to the German barbarian standing over him with a club that he should be spared because he is the last person around who knows how to make concrete and that is really awesome and the barbarian being too ignorant to care. It is hard to imagine what life would be like if an invention we all rely on just ceased to exist. Our world is completely saturated with technology. It is actually hard to think of activities that modern people do totally naturally. Think about the amount of gadgets people use when they go camping. This is supposed to be a natural activity. Stoves, cots, tents, sleeping bags with, with synthetic fill. Most people I know don't hunt with their bare hands. That would be pretty hardcore, I guess. Or go for a jog barefoot with no clothes on. Even something as simple as writing a letter with a pencil is possible due to an advanced supply chain that boggles the mind. For most of history, writing implements and paper were either totally unavailable or so ridiculously expensive, hardly anyone used them. I learned this fact recently. Paul's letter to the Romans is the longest intact letter in existence from that period of time. And Romans is a relatively long letter, but still, it's the longest letter because it was so unusual for something of that length to be written. Creating technology is a natural outworking of mankind's God-given natural abilities. God made man with a desire and a capacity to build and gave us a mandate at creation to do so. We talked about this in depth last week. William Edgar writes, <clears throat> the creation mandate is the ongoing charge to humanity in the power and blessing of God to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and gently subdue and cultivate the earth. God has given men and women the gift of creating technology so that we can do what he asks of us. This gift can be used for great good. There is sadly a flip side to our human potential. Anything capable of bringing about a good outcome can also be used 
to bring about a bad one. In today's verses, each of Lamech's sons is responsible for a radically new technology, an invention that changed the world. They are the Steve Jobs of their day. Lamech's first son, Jabel, is the first person to set up tents. Anybody that has ever tried and failed to set up a tent can blame Jabel. The second son, Jubal, not to be confused with his brother, develops amazing musical instruments. The third boy mentioned is Tubalcain. He figures out early metalworking. While their inventions sound positive, their association with Lamech, their father, is definitely not. Lamech is a bad dude. He is the first polygamist. The song he sings to his wives is one of using power to, ex to exact extreme revenge. He glories in his wrathfulness. Lamech is continuing the tradition of his great-great-grandfather, Cain. After Cain killed Abel, he constructs a city that he names after his son. Just like the people of Babel who would show up on the scene later, Cain and his descendants are focused on building selfish kingdoms for their own glory in opposition to God. This includes Lamech and his son. In the context of these verses, it is clear that Lamech's sons, while impressive inventors, are not using the technology they have made to glorify God and make the world a better place. They are using it to empower and glorify themselves. What we see in these verses is that from the inception of technology, it has been a good thing that often gets used for bad purposes. This fits with what we have been saying repeatedly throughout this sermon series. People made in God's image can bring about incredible good. But that good is always tainted by sin and depravity. You will sometimes hear people in our society argue that technology is a purely positive force. To do so, you have to ignore a lot of facts. Rivers in China that are so polluted with industrial waste that the rate of birth defects skyrockets. The corrosive impact of tech on families and communities is obvious to anyone who is paying attention. Human inventiveness cannot be the final solution to mankind's most pressing problem. You cannot fix the spiritual brokenness that haunts people with a line of code or expert craftsmanship, although the attempt has certainly been made. The limits of what people can accomplish through ingenuity doesn't mean technology is all bad either. Thinking this is the case is 
throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You will hear people idealize the past. How great would it have been to be alive during the American Revolution or Victorian England? Probably not that great. Unless you enjoy starving as you get frostbite at Valley Forge. Or having a child die from diarrhea that we would easily treat today with antibiotics. People that idealize the past probably wouldn't have liked it that much if they had been there to experience it. I've been guilty of this myself. I, one of my most profound, or maybe not profound, but sticks with me the most childhood memories is probably when I was first grade or so and I was supposed to be learning how to read and I was not good at it and I remember sitting in my bedroom crying to my mom that I hated school and I hated reading I hated the person who had invented school and I hated the person who had invented reading of course I said this all from the comfort of my climate-controlled middle-class bedroom as I cried into a Kleenex and played with G.I. Joe's. It is inarguable that an amazing amount of good has been accomplished with technology. Just one example of this happened back in the 1960s. Some of you that were alive at that time may remember that there was a concern that the generations to come would experience these worldwide famines because the population of the world was exploding. Those famines never came to fruition, and a large part of the reason why is that a scientist named Norman Borlag developed semi-dwarf, high-yield, disease-resistant wheat varieties. This single development saved millions of lives across the world over the following decades. The good things that technology has done and is doing shouldn't blind us to the terrible things it is capable of, or vice versa. We don't want to live in a world without technology, neither should we allow it free reign in our lives. Right now, there are coders sitting in a room trying to figure out the algorithm that will manipulate your behavior best. And if we look at our society, we can see in many ways those coders are in fact succeeding. Their goal is to have you stay on their app as much as possible. Bloggers, journalists, and editors are doing everything they can to have you click on their story. The tech we are inundated with is designed to be addictive. The best way to addict people? Capitalize on their sinful tendencies. I have a lot of concerns for boys and girls that are growing up in the world right now. Most of you would probably agree with me on this. Kids these days, they are technology obsessed. 
Back in my day, we didn't live on screens. While it is true we should be worried about kids, I'm not really any less concerned about the effect technology is having on adults. Marriages are falling apart because husbands and wives are more interested in what is on their phone than each other. Our political system is crumbling because algorithms and those that produce digital media are more interested in clicks than truth. The Bible has always exhibited concern about technology out of a recognition for how it exacerbates sinful human compulsions. Throughout the Old Testament, God actually imposed limits on technology to protect the relationship between himself and his people. Deuteronomy 17, 16 warns Israel's king must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. God didn't want his people to rely on the things that gave worldly power which they could control. This command is given at the same time the future kings of Israel are warned about pagan wives and excessive wealth. God wants people to trust him alone and not technology. The psalmist writes, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Chariots, which were the apex technology of the day, are placed in contrast to trusting God. Technology is not inherently sinful. It has the potential to be used for great good. It does facilitate sins we already struggle with. It makes it easier not to trust God. Technology makes most sins easier and more destructive. In the past 10 years, there are many things, many ways of sinning that have gotten easier due to new developments. If you are addicted to shopping, you no longer have to leave your house. Angry people are provided with a constant stream of reasons to be even angrier. Christians must not be naive as we exist in a world saturated with technology. There is no avoiding decision-making about technology in our lives. Each of us has to live in a fallen world that God created good and is redeeming. In, it is a world of gray. Neither the pure white light of God's truth or the darkness of sin dominate our lived experience. We are forced to make decisions every day regarding how to live well. The same thing that is true of the world in general is true of technology in particular. 
part of the reason we're doing the current ser sermon series we are in is an attempt to establish foundational beliefs that will help us understand how to navigate in the half-light we exist in. Each of us has to apply the unchanging truths God gives us through his word, most especially through Christ, in the situation we find ourselves in with the help of the Holy Spirit. Our world may be more advanced than the world in which the Bible was written. Working in bronze is no longer cutting edge, and the chariot is not an apex weapon. Nonetheless, God's truth, His wisdom, is just as applicable. Well, I can't give you specific rules on how to use technology in your life, there are questions based on scripture that I believe we can be asking ourselves to help us to determine how we use the different technologies available to us in the modern world, and if we should even use them at all. So here are seven questions to ask yourself about technology in your life. One, can I use this technology without sinning? There are some people here today that just need to get off social media. For whatever reason, all it does is make you angry or jealous or argumentative. Several years ago, I stopped doing fantasy football because I couldn't help but obsess over it all the time, which sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Two, what effect does technology have on your relationships? One of the things that I try to encourage the staff here at Byfield to do is turn off the email notifications on their smartphone. I don't want our staff here at the church constantly getting emails dinging through on their phone, letting them know of, of different things going on at work. It's not healthy for their family life. It's not healthy for their relationships. It doesn't mean we stop using technology. It means we set parameters. Third question to ask, what do others you trust tell you about your use of technology if if the people closest to you are telling you that you live on your phone that means you have a problem if you feel sensitive when they say anything you should at least consider the possibility that you are attached to a man-made thing in a sinful way for does the technology I am using help me to love God and love my neighbors better? If not, something needs to change. Five, is my physical and psychological health impacted negatively by a piece of technology? The same device can have a positive impact on one person while having a negative impact on another. A fitness tracking watch may help one person 
get off their couch and get in better shape while it turns another person into somebody that works out obsessively in a damaging way. Six, am I in control of my use of technology or does the technology control me? Humans have exhibited a proclivity throughout history to become slaves to the things that were supposed to be created to free us in some way. Seven, have I placed my faith in technology more than God? If the answer is yes, because you trust the prescriptions your doctor gives you more than God, the answer is not to throw out all your prescriptions. It means you should turn over your fear and concern to God, then seek the full benefits of the medical advancements that are available to you. Technology is a tool that God has given people the capacity to create. It reflects the people that created it and use it. It has an, in, it has an exponential effect on the good or sin it is used in the service of. The question of whether or not technology makes the world a better place and whether it improves our individual lives does not have a clear-cut answer. It depends on us. Will we be like Lamech's sons using technology for our own glory? Or will we use it for God's glory? The way we answer that question every day in our use of technology will determine much of the course of our lives and society in a world that is saturated with technology. Technology, like all things God has blessed humanity with, makes us better off when we use it for God's glory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is for me one of the hardest questions to answer on a daily basis. We are given so many opportunities to, to make our lives easier and better and so much opportunity to take in new information, Lord, through technology, so many good things. But then we also see the overall impact that the way we use technology is so often having, making us angry or, or greedy or jealous. I just pray that you would be with us, that you would help us to have the discernment we need to have so that we can live our lives in a way that are glorifying to you. Mostly, I would pray that we would actually be willing to think through how we live our lives in this way. Not from a place of fear, Lord, and not from a place of, of shame, but so that we can live a life of joy that is oriented to seeking your glory. 
I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.